Hi there and welcome back to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur podcast. I'm Bob Gentle and every Monday I'm joined by amazing people who share what makes their business work. If you're new, then take a second to subscribe through your player app. And while you're listening, join our Facebook community. Just visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders and you'll be taken right there. Some people work for others and some people work for themselves. And that sounds very binary, but life just doesn't work that way. A nine to five job might have been right for you at one point, but maybe you've grown out of it. This week, my guest is Anna Lundberg, and we're talking about how to plan your exit from your day job, design a business around the life you really want, and join the world of the self-employed entrepreneur. So this week, I'm thrilled to welcome Anna Lundberg to the show. Anna, for those people who don't know you, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and the kind of work you do? Sure. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me. So my name's Anna. I um, Where do I start? So I was going to start with my whole life history for a moment. So <laughs> my parents are Swedish. I say that only because um, I sound obviously very English and it gives a bit of a twist, I guess, to, to what I do. I grew up here in England and I've just moved down to Poole on the south coast. So I'm looking out at a beautiful view, not quite panoramic ocean view, but getting there. Um, I, um, you took a breath there. Did you want to ask me something? <laughs> um, no, I just, it's always sunny in Poole. That's, I've been, I've used to take the ferry across the Isle of Wight a lot. And yeah, it's, it's a lovely part of the country. It's just, I'm up north, far, far north. <laughs> yes, uh, we're at opposite ends of the, the country, aren't we? Yeah. But that sounds positive that it's always sunny. I haven't quite nailed the the clothing yet. I'm either too hot or too cold, but but that's <laughs> by the by, but it's beautiful. It's it's always been a dream of mine to live by the sea. So it's not quite California, but it's um, perhaps <laughs> a step better than, than Scotland um, in terms of the weather. It's beautifully sunny. So, so work-wise, I guess, I always say that I did the kind of right path, the conventional good girl path of sort of doing well at school and um, going into a good university. I studied at Oxford. I did PPE, philosophy, politics, economics. I then went to Geneva and Switzerland to study international relations. To be honest, I just found it very difficult to choose a path because I was what they'd now call sort of a a multi-potentialite, multi-passionate renaissance woman, whatever you want to call it. I I just had a lot of interests and I couldn't quite decide on one path. So I was easily swayed by other people's thoughts on, oh, you'll never make money with this and, and that's not a good career path and so on. I then ended up as I call it, accidentally in marketing. So I started my marketing career after my master's at uh, Procter & Gamble, big multinational consumer goods company in Geneva in Switzerland. I was there for seven years. I did branding for uh, fine fragrance, as we called it. So perfume and then skincare and makeup. And I gradually was very lucky to, again, accidentally become an expert, a specialist in digital marketing, which gave me an incredible skill set. So in 2013, which is already eight years ago, I'm realizing now, I think I've been longer outside of the corporate world than I was inside. I um, I took a leap into the unknown. I didn't really have a clear plan of what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something different. And there've been various twists and turns, but what I'm getting to is where I am now, which is a combination of using that branding and business marketing with some of my newer interests and skills. So I certified and qualified as a life coach. I've been studying positive psychology, I've always loved writing um, and I'm I'm combining all those little things into a portfolio career, I guess, in terms of helping people like me. So corporate professionals leave their nine to five and uh, and build a business that allows them more freedom and flexibility in terms of leaving their lives, living their lives. I think for me, what you do is very, very important because I, I guess, 
I'm one of these people that has never really worked in corporate. I've tried it a couple of times. I really didn't enjoy it. I think I've had what would be called a proper job for a total of two years. But I see a lot of people working in corporates where I just think, really, your light is tucked away here where nobody cares about it. And you spoke about a portfolio career. And I'm not sure where you coined that phrase from, but when I hear it, I think Jeff Goins, who for me as somebody who really brought home to me the importance of a sense of vocation, that a vocation is something that you run with for a time, for a season. Nobody has one straight path in life. And you've kind of demonstrated that very clearly. But so many people, especially when they get into the corporate world, they get on a straight line. And that straight line is incredibly hard to get off. So offering people a lifeboat or a parachute or a companion to help them off that, for me, is very, very important. And I'm curious to know, when you're doing this, and one of the things that that I hear quite often when I speak to great people, I think, you know what, you really need to be doing this outside of here. I'll often get, oh, I could never do that. Or it sounds so dangerous or it looks so risky. What are some of the reasons you hear why people just don't automatically do it? Why they, why they need to be nurtured onto that path? That's a great question. And my goodness, so many interesting things came to mind when you said that. I loved what you said about your light sort of being hidden away. And, it, and it's so true. I have to caveat all this with there are people who really do well and thrive in this environment. And I, I could have been one of them, I suppose. But I, I came from, as you heard, a very different sort of academic background. And I had never even heard of P&G, let alone done an MBA and, and marketing and so on. There were others who were passionate about this. They, they loved it. And they're doing incredibly well on that path. People in that type of company can really stay on that ladder and they love it, I believe. <laughs> so I want to say that, you know, there are people and I never want to in any way judge other people for their choices. What I am saying is that you should make that choice. And, yeah. and as you said, unfortunately, we end up on that sort of conveyor belt. It's a very straight path, which let's face it, isn't even going to be viable in the future. You know, so one of the reasons we stick with what we know is we assume we have that limiting belief, as we call it in coaching, that being in that stable, so-called stable job is much safer. And as we've seen in the last year or so, and as we see through many different economic situations and, and personal things and reorganizations and structures of, of the company, you know, putting your whole career and livelihood in somebody else's hands and, and in particular an anonymous, faceless corporate identity that, as you say, doesn't really care about you is, is not actually that stable and secure. And rather having that portfolio, having diversified income streams, having control over your time, your work, your projects, your clients, that's a much safer alternative. So it sort of puts everything on its head. But that fear of of leaving that stability and what you know behind, I talk about the the leaving your comfort zone, leaving behind what you're respected in. And as you said, oh, I could never do that. It's very odd. We start our career with no skills and a lot of confidence. And then after 10, 20 years, we have so many skills and so much experience. And yet our confidence is shot. And we, we just think that that's all we can do. We've been reduced to this one little job description. And yet we could do so many more things. So, so fear of failure, fear of leaving that comfort zone, fear of the unknown. Those are some of the key barriers, I suppose, that, that keep us in the status quo in, in that comfort zone. I think that that fear and that risk is something that I hear a lot, that it just feels so risky going on your own. And I know you probably have 
a process for it. But one of the things that I always come back with is for you and your corporate job, for you to be out of a job, one person has to make a decision. For me to be out of a job, I think about 50 people all have to make exactly the same decision. Mm. And it's never going to happen. Actually, in real terms, I'm much safer and I have much more control than somebody who works in a large corporation. That's not very helpful for the person who's in the corporation. Well, but I think hearing that example and having those numbers, you're right. And and when is that ever going to be the case? I always tell tell my clients who are at the beginning of the journey, you know, you need to, and I know it's easy to say that, but we need to shift our belief system that it's not if this is going to work, it will work. The question is just mm. how and when. It's, let's face it, going to take a lot longer than we realize. Um, I initially focused a lot and, and I wrote a book initially, Leaving the Corporate 9 to 5, that interviewed people who, who'd left their job. And it was very focused on that initial leap decision. And for me too, I thought, wow, I've just taken this incredibly daring step and I'm going to live my best life and that's it, ta-da, end of story. And of course, that's only the very beginning. It's an important decision, but it's only the first step. And now I'm shifting much more naturally, because that's sort of what's happened to me after seven or eight years, but also with my clients into making that sustainable, because that's also the journey of, of continuing to make those decisions. And if, by the way, those 50 people did simultaneously decide not to work with you, you could probably pivot into something else. In fact, definitely you would have done that because it would never happen on the same day. So that's, again, the control that we have over pivoting, responding, diversifying, shifting in order to keep on top of things and to make sure that that situation when our entire client base suddenly drops out isn't going to happen now of course again we're, we're speaking in the sort of the time of corona where some industries unfortunately have been really hard hit and it's been completely out of their control but again there have been some choices that we could have made in terms of diversification and and resilience i suppose that that could have given us a bit of a, a safety blanket in that in that scenario as well yeah absolutely i'm i'm curious to know we have the sort of the hypothetical people sort of leaving their corporate nine to five and they just from one day to the next that's it i quit my job and now i'm going to do this amazing thing and everyone's going to pay me and it's going to be great doesn't actually happen like that very often so if anybody's listening thinking yeah that that sounds like me i am so sick of my job what's the right way to do it rather than the wrong way to do it. Which the, the way I would describe the wrong way to do it is you hand a letter to your boss, you tell him where you can stick it, and you're gone. That's a bad idea. But what's the Anna Lundberg right, <laughs> right, right idea? You know what, that's definitely a choice. I think generally it's probably best not to be that rushed into things and, and certainly to burn any bridges is, is always a bit dangerous. So probably, as you said, not the best idea. And um, I'm, I'm a really big fan of dreaming big so I, I like to think that I'm a mix of the blue sky thinking let's really dream fantasize I want to live by the sea I want to be a best-selling author I want to look at all the things I dreamed of when I was younger and so now maybe we can't be a superhero or we don't want to be a veterinarian anymore I wanted to be an astronaut whatever those crazy ideas are but really allowing ourselves to look at all the options and there are so many almost too many but also then being pragmatic and think okay but let's bring it back to today what are my financial needs? Looking at the figures, understanding what the bills are we need to pay. We've got the mortgages, we've got the kids, whatever else. And nobody's pushing you. I'm not pushing you. I'm not persuading you to take that leap. What I'm saying is if you're not happy where you are, make a different decision, take control and start the process. So for me, it's sort of dreaming big, 
thinking about that big picture vision of where you want to be in five, 10 years, and then taking the initial step. It can evolve, it will evolve, but at least having that North Star direction of where you want to head is going to help you build an intentional plan to get there. And then as you begin to take those tentative steps, whether you begin that kind of side hustle alongside the, the full-time job, or you change into a different role that gives you a bit more freedom and flexibility in itself, that is going to open your eyes to so many other opportunities that are out there. You'll begin to understand a bit more about yourself and, and what works, what you like, what you don't like, and so on. And, and so begins the, the journey <laughs> of uh, piecing together what's really going to work for you. So having a big vision, but then being very pragmatic and practical about taking the steps and making sure that your so-called escape plan does fit with your financial needs and so on. And remembering that you're in control of this path. At no point do you you know, somebody going to say, you have to quit today, you get to say, actually, oh, my plan of handing in my resignation in July is a bit optimistic, maybe I'll, I'll now do that in September. And in the meantime, I'll, I'll work on getting that pipeline of clients, whatever it is. So as you were speaking, I was thinking there are, there are lots of different kinds of people. But in this situation, I'm going to put them in two camps. There are those who have a very clear idea of their own value. And they have no problem thinking big, being ambitious. But then there's another camp of people who are equally valuable, but they don't really understand the value that they have for other people. They may be very unhappy doing what they're doing. They might be brilliant in that corporate role, but often when they imagine that people outside of that corporation might be able to value them, they have a really difficult way of imagining what that might look like. Have you any idea for that group of people, any advice? To be honest, I think I probably was that group of person and, and, and I believe most of my clients are like that at P&G we used to have this um, I don't know it was a rumor that we were called insecure overachievers <laughs> and that was the profile of person that worked really really hard but we all always felt oh I, I need to do better and you know looking at how other people were doing and so on so that's a pretty good profile of an employee for a company but very stressful for ourselves there are all these trendy words of you know imposter syndrome and, and overachiever syndrome and business syndrome and all sorts of syndromes and unfortunately well, what's exciting is, of course, when we work for ourselves and, and being, you know, having that personal brand is that we are selling ourselves. But that's also what's very scary. And as you said, if you don't have that complete confidence in what you do, it's very difficult to have a conversation with a client and persuade them to, to work with you if you don't even believe in yourself. So I always say, you know, start by sitting down pen and paper and just looking at the things you've been happiest about proudest of the things that have really given you fulfillment in life and looking beyond the cv looking beyond what your job title happens to be think of the softer skills your personality strengths your unique brand i guess we would call it but obviously being in the corporate world we just don't think of it that way unfortunately we haven't had to do that there is a certain element of exposure and image and so on internally to get those promotions but that second category of person as you said we we don't have that necessarily we haven't been um marketing ourselves as we should have so that is a big transition to do but look at all the skills and strengths you have look at the experiences and of course having the rigor to really have a great strategy understanding what problem you're solving and being so confident in that I know I can help people with this thing um that that it almost becomes sort of a no-brainer then to talk to people about it you're passionate about it you know it works you know that you can do what you're saying you can do and again it's odd that we have the confidence internally in our corporate role but somehow when we're doing something similar outside we lose that it's why why would a company pay us x hundred thousand whatever and suddenly we're asking for a few hundred or thousand from from somebody as an as a, an entrepreneur we we lose that faith 
So it's again yeah. sort of just thinking, hang on a second, uh, is this um, is this doubt, I guess, that I have in myself really valid? And then trying to build up that confidence. And of course, it's practice as well. Um, having those conversations, getting more and more experience and realizing once you're out of that world, you look around, and you think, wow, I really can do this. I know what I'm doing. And and also having that that passion for, for what you're doing. I think also the more introspective the character, the more accustomed they are to self-criticism. And I think in lots of group environments, corp- corporate environments, there is a culture of always trying to be aware of any shortcomings in order that you can mitigate them because you know other people are looking for those you have appraisals and things like that where you you need to be ready for these things but we're not so well trained or attuned to looking at our strengths and our our abilities and as you were speaking something that sprung to mind was something ian anderson gray said to me which was something that he had been recommended which was if you are an introvert you're very likely to be the kind of person we just described and something that he found productive and I subsequently found very productive was actually just keeping a journal of some of the nice things people say about you and the reason I found that very powerful was it's a little bit like you know when you get a new car suddenly you see that car everywhere or when you have kids you see prams everywhere it's this reticular activating system in your brain that's looking for patterns that matter to you. So if you start tracking something in a journal, you'll start to notice, actually, these are my areas of value, my areas of ability. These are the things other people value about me. You'll start to notice them, which you, where you never noticed them before because they didn't matter before. What mattered was the things people didn't like. What mattered was the things you were punished for. Uh, and I found that really, really powerful. I love that. I, I talk about sort of a compliments jar almost. It can be a folder on your computer or a yeah. journal, as you said, or, or literally a jar where you put the compliments, the, the client testimonials, reviews, the nice little thank you notes and so on. Unfortunately, I, I've heard that statistic that, you know, for every one criticism someone gives you, you need five positive compliments because, as you say, we're looking for the negative. I, I'm so critical of myself. Nobody can possibly push me harder than I do myself. So I'm really self-motivated, which is great. But it's it's so important, as you say, to also stop to to smell the rose i suppose and look around and and hear the positive and and celebrate what you are achieving even as you strive for for being better as well yeah and i think also bringing that back to personal branding and for anybody that is thinking about moving into their own identity really stepping up and being very visible that one to five ratio is really interesting where something that i hear and say quite often is that especially when you start to show up online one third of people are not going to like you one third of people aren't going to care but one third of people are your people they're going to love you so really that one to five ratio is is kind of similar but it's really important to recognize that it's actually only the third that love you that matter the rest they're not for you anyway so you just need to focus on showing up for that one third and that social media piece is is very dangerous because, you know, whether it's another syndrome sort of comparanoia or comparison, wanting to compare ourselves always to other people. It's so easy on Instagram to scroll through and say, wow, she's doing this. They have that many followers. Um, and, and you just see, again, the negative. And, and actually, as I think we were chatting about the other day, um, the, the uniqueness that you bring in the personal brand means that in a way you don't have competitors. And 
of course, there is an element to analyzing the market and understanding positioning and so on. But then once you've made your decision, you sort of run your own race, you focus on what you're doing and you become peerless, ideally. that That's the goal. So I think that is dangerous when we're constantly looking to other people. It's so easy to get distracted. Shiny object think- syndrome. There you go. There's another syndrome to throw into the mix. You know, it's so easy to to look at, oh, that person is doing a workshop. I should be doing that. And maybe I should be yeah. launching this and I should be changing that. I think it's important to try on different costumes and business models. But yeah, having a bit of clarity and really pushing something through is quite important. I had to write Comparanoia down. I haven't heard that (laughs) one before. There you go. I think something that's really struck me in particular over the last year is the more you invest in your personal brand, the more visibility you build. And there are lots of ways to do this. And there are lots of yeah, lots of ways to do this, lots of ways to learn how to do it. The p- most important thing is to do it. But certainly what I found is the more I've done it, the more I've attracted the kind of business that's right for me. People are coming to, you know, the situation where you're, you're, you're in a competitive tender situation and it's based on price. You don't want that work because you know they weren't hiring you for you. They weren't hiring you because of the things that everybody has said makes you special. They're hiring you because you're the cheapest. What that means is when you actually have that client, they weren't, they're not interested in your secret sauce or your personality or your personal brand. When you do invest in your personal brand and people are hiring you because they connected with you, it's a very, 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 very different thing. And for me, and you're probably similar, I haven't had to quote for a piece of work for about two years because people are coming to me because they want to work with me. They've chosen me. Yeah, so I work mostly with individuals, but what's interesting is when, when people start out, everyone's what's the pricing? And they're looking at what competitors are pricing and I need to do this, that and the other. And and it's it's absolutely, as you say, you become a commodity. You know, I, I'm lucky in a way because I came from the luxury beauty world where I guess we were always building those brands. Now it was business brands and, and I had the whole backing of the entire corporation, not to mention very um, well-known brands and celebrities and agencies and and the whole team behind me. So it was pretty rude awakening for me to have to do all that myself. But my favorite thing is when somebody books a call with me and they said, oh, I've listened to your podcast, I've read your book, I've been in your group, you know, they know me. So it's a no brainer to work together. It's just a question of which program is the right fit or how often should we have the calls? You know, it's really just chatting about that. Whereas if someone just came cold to me and they've never heard of me, and, and in fact, I've had a couple of people who've said, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to 12 career coaches. I'm, okay. <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, clearly that they don't really know what I do and I'm probably not going to, to win that particular client and that's fine. Um, but that is, that is uh, you know, where we start, I think, because we're thinking, oh, I have to, you know, they're, they're pricing it this much per hour and I need to do that. And, and that's totally the wrong place to come from so so absolutely the personal brand absolutely i share that that's such a key thing and it's something we think is a bit icky isn't it when we first and i certainly didn't do it intentionally when i started i started blogging a bit tentatively and then i started oh i'll add an email into it and then i think i very luckily got onto this idea of guesting on other people's podcasts and then i've always wanted to be a writer the book came so it's just kind of layered on and then now yeah podcasting is a big part of it and and more books and and it doesn't feel like i'm doing anything sort of icky and sleazy as I might have thought five, six years ago. It's just it's just part of doing business and even part of being who I am. As you might know, this show is supported by our sponsor, Agora Pulse. Now, you know how hard it is to juggle all the things in your business, the accounts, the meetings, the never-ending inbox. And that's why I teamed up with Agora Pulse to give you more than five hours back a week when it comes to managing your social media marketing. 
No complicated Excel docs, long emails, or millions of open tabs. Simply manage all your social media channels in one place. Go to amplifyme.agency forward slash Agora Pulse to score two months for free on me. Now, all you have to do is figure out how you want to spend those spare five hours. I found it very, very painful at the beginning. Very painful. But what I think the more I've done it, two things have happened. It's become easier because I'm accustomed to it. I'm more acclimatized to it. I'm a very shy, introverted person. So this being visible is not normal for me. It's it's really the antithesis of what I would do as a natural thing. However, what I've found is the the more I've moved from trying to convince people towards simply trying to be authentic, and I hate that word authentic, <laughs> but genuinely show up and share the easier and more pleasurable it's become if you if you really relax into being yourself it'll get much much easier uh, it's, it's anybody that's trying to pretend to be somebody else that's always going to feel difficult do you know the comparison i always make is is with dating <laughs> like when i was younger and i and i wanted to be cool and i you know if i was meeting boys or, or even you know just potential friends and i wanted to oh, yeah i like that kind of music and i like this that and the other and and the reality is if you convince somebody to to sort of fall for a persona you've put together one of two things will happen one is that they'll see through you eventually and that's never going to last or secondly you're going to have to pretend to be someone you're not the rest of your life in a relationship and it's the same in the business I could be all luxury and 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 perfect and high-end and VIP and blah 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 and then either I have to constantly strive for that high level that isn't really me or again that those clients will see through it and they won't want to work with me longer term or I can show up as myself and the people who appreciate that will come to me said that third and and many others probably won't but at least I can you know be myself and they know what they what they can expect when they then start to work with me. Yeah, I've been chased away from having my picture taken next to so many Lamborghinis. I'm just tired of it. Oh my goodness, that's yeah, that's a, a certain <laughs> tactic that some people use, isn't it? So, although I'm I have joking. to say, I have been doing lots of pictures and um, videos of me on the beach now, so I'm I'm doing that, but not so much to say, hey, I've got this amazing beach house, which which is not the case, but more just to show, wow, I'm just enjoying this lifestyle, and it's just part of now <laughs> my day to day routine, I guess. So, having had a good stock around your online ecosystem i have some questions the f- the first one i guess is you did write a book and i'm whenever i hear that i'm always because it's one of the things that's on my to-do shelf there's a lot of things there i'm curious to know what what was the seed of that why did you do it and what has been the outcome of it or what what has was the effect so it's interesting that you said the shelf there, because an image I always think of is that we have, again, you know, I said dream big and we have these naive, idealistic dreams on the top shelf, getting dusty, looking great. And I sometimes think about it and it looks fantastic, but never do anything about it. And I used to say, oh, I want to be a best selling author living by the ocean. And and my coach, in fact, at the time picked up on that and said, well, hang on, you're saying that as if it's ha ha ha, just a bit of a joke, but that is your dream. I think, oh, okay, yes, it is. But I'm just, it's so far from my reality. I can't be Stephen King or JK Rowling or 
Jeff Goins or whoever, right? Yeah, that's so far from my reality that, that it's never going to happen. So I just leave that dream on the shelf. Whereas actually what you want to do is take the dream off the shelf, break it apart into a million pieces. It gets pretty messy, but have a look. What is it about writing that I love? Well, I want to write. Okay, well, I started a blog. Nobody was reading at the beginning, but I was writing. And I want to have a physical book in my hand. Well, guess what? You can now self-publish on Amazon. You can make on-demand paperback copies. And in fact, nobody ever needs to buy them. I've just got it in my hand and that's, that's in itself an achievement. And if you begin to ask yourself, why do I want to write? Why do I want to be a writer? Then of course there are those prestigious things of getting a publishing contract from a traditional publisher or getting on the New York Times bestseller list, but that's not what it's about for me. And so I've been able to reconstitute that dream into a very real thing. To be honest, I should say I, I wanted to write and I had a very ambitious goal of writing sort of a book a year. And I've since created children instead and, and other pro programs and <laughs> podcasts and things, but I'm definitely coming back to that. Um, but it's it's very doable if it's something you want to do. You just need to choose to do it um, and, and take aside that sort of idealized vision of, of that author, capital A, and realizing that, hey, I just need to sit down. I could write a little mini ebook and you, you are an author. You could publish that. So so breaking it down into, again, tangible small steps has been my experience. And staying on the writing theme, I guess, on the media page of your website, there's quite a lot of articles and some pretty high profile publications listed. And I'm curious to know what the process was for that, because it's an unusually impressive list for an independent business owner like one of us. So what's the story? <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I mean, I as I said, I started blogging and, and to be honest, I do what um, perhaps I don't recommend clients to do, which is I, I did everything very organically and it was very time rich I suppose you could call it and money poor because I I didn't get the help that I now encourage people to get and I didn't have a strategy and it took me many months even years to get to where I knew what I was doing and now to get to where I am now and and of course if you have the luxury of time by all means but most of us are a little bit more impatient so that's where getting the help is important but for me I started with sort of the travel blog and then because I thought I wanted to do more with the writing, I guess I had some kind of ambition of, of getting paid to be a writer. I started to do some some guest blog posts and I wrote on Quora. That was one, if you want a little hack, answer questions on Quora. And a couple of those got picked up by um, Quartz Magazine and, and Business Insider when they got sort of 10, 15,000 views. Um, so that was a, a little hack that I could share. Um, but really it's, it's quite simple. It's again, adding value, isn't it? I think unfortunately, I don't know about you, I've just suddenly been hit by lots of, um, again, sort of sleazy pictures on Instagram in particular, where, where under the guise of of telling you that um, they're going to do PR for you, they're asking you to pay to be featured in a, oh, these are the top 10 entrepreneurs or podcasts or whatever to follow, which is yeah. completely, you know, I mean, by all means, if that's what you want to do. But for me, as you said, it's not authentic. It's not what a, a PR person would, would count as, as being a genuine article. And it's a bit of a shame. So it's about, as you said, adding value and, you know, reaching out to the publications that you're reading seeing the kind of article that would fit for them and um, and going from there. So I haven't, I'm afraid, had a particularly consistent strategy and I could have, should have done more because it's actually done amazing things for me. Whenever I've had an article shared by Aaron Hoffington, for example, I suddenly got a massive influx of people into my business. So, uh, but you know how it is. There are so many things you want to do and, and so few hours in the day. So um, I tend to dabble in lots of different things, which, which suits my personality, but I'm sure I could be more more systematic with these things to, to get even better results. I think, yeah, when things are working, I guess it is important to lean into them, but it's already a pretty impressive list. 
to, I guess to come back to the writing in the book, one thing I'd say is, again, for me, I was redefining what that meant. And, and the book was to play an important part in my business and brand ecosystem. So I wasn't looking to be a bestseller for this. It was something I wanted to publish myself. It was a collection of 50 interviews with people who had left their corporate job. And then I added some intros and, and conclusions and extra perspective and so on. But that then fed into my business incubator program, which I had. So it was a very intentional step to get people onto my list, to get them as a next step, you know, to, to want to work with me, to then come into the programme. So for me, it doesn't matter. I'm very much about sort of building, as much as I'd love to have a much bigger audience and reach more people, I have a thriving business with quite small audiences, but but each piece of the ecosystem has a, has a clear role. And that book, again, it's not um, it's not something you'll find at Waterstones on the <laughs> in the window, but it's, it's something that's, you know, consistently bringing people to me. So that works for me. So we've spoken about who you help, how you help them. But in, in real concrete terms, I guess, what does the interface look like? And this is really the business model question. How do people actually engage with you? Well, I love the business model question. It's something I'm, I'm looking at at the moment in my podcast the next few weeks. And, and I talk about the five pillars. And this is, again, something that's come out organically, because when I first started, I obviously didn't have this clarity that I have now from working with so many clients and my own experience too. But actually, a lot of the threads we've talked about fit really clearly into those different buckets. So I'll, I'll just go through them and we can sort of pick apart. But but I think, again, some of them we, we've talked about quite a bit. But my, my big philosophy is that we have to redefine what success looks like for us. And that's the first pillar, as it were, to understand what are you actually trying to achieve? If you, assuming everything does work out, you know, is that senior general manager role in the company where you want to end up and, and most people look up and they think no that's not what I want to be I'm just working harder and harder the money's less and less worthwhile you know I'm spending more money and, and I'm just in this trap where the kids are in private school and, and I have this massive salary and I can't see any escape so defining what success looks like for you and your family and your lifestyle is really key the second one is is building your confidence and resilience and we talked about that in terms of being able to really own what you stand for and, and believing in your value and overcoming all those syndromes that we mentioned. And the third one is choosing the right business model, because based on your definition of success, you know, again, it's so easy to look at people saying, oh, you must have a webinar funnel where you have these automated emails and this, that and the other, or no, no, you need to be doing live Facebook challenges. You need to have memberships. You need to have a course. You need to do one-to-one. -one. You know, everybody has their formula, but, but my formula for success isn't your formula for success because we have different we were talking about you sort of have empty nesters. I have the opposite. I have little babies. So, you know, it's a very different scenario where we are in our life and personal preferences and strengths and ambitions. And so choosing the model that's going to work for that is really critical. The next one is building an effective brand, personal brand. So that we've talked about as well. And the final one is designing flexible work-life integration. So, you know, that I can balance my childcare with my hobbies, with my exercise, whatever, with my business and so on. So those are the five pillars, and that's kind of the structure I have. For me, in terms of the model that I have now, I started one-to-one -one because that was the best way to, you know, I guess it's easier, as they say, to be fair, to, to get a handful of clients at a higher rate than it is to, with no list, no audience at all, to get um, thousands and thousands of people into a membership or course. I started one-to-one, -one, and then gradually, as I developed that, I began to develop a group program. So I have a business incubator, as I call it, for taking people really from oh, I kind of have an idea through to getting their first clients. The next stage is a business accelerator, which is a bit lighter touch, no, no more handholding, but still sort of ongoing implementation support to make that work and really have that sustainable business. And then I do work with a handful of one-to-one -one clients as well. 
thank you for for being so articulate in that because it's very easy for us to make assumptions about other people's business and it's especially when you're looking at somebody else's business from the outside it's actually very hard to understand what is actually working behind the scenes which of all these different things they're doing are actually driving success or which are they most serious about so you've been very very clear on that i'm curious to know if you were to look back at the last eight years or so usually we can sort of pick out one little catalyst and go this was where things really started to change is there anything you look back and you, and you think that was awesome i can't imagine if that hadn't happened so the first one has to be when i made that decision to leave and as i said it was just the first decision the first step but for me it was so counter i'm not a risk taker we talked about risk i'm that good girl i'm not i never thought of myself as entrepreneurial i'd never heard of podcasting or any of these things i'm not that person so that's i admire people like you who have had the self-awareness not to get caught up in the corporate world but i've been 100 percent that person who just kind of followed what people said i should do and so on so that's something i'm really proud of and was one of the main pivotal moments when I really trusted my intuition, all the rational thoughts, my parents, everybody sensible in my life said, this doesn't make sense at all, but I just felt it was the right decision. So that was the first one. And then it's sort of been little little things along the way. But, but I say that I had a few swings of the pendulum from initially, I really landed on my feet. I did um, consulting for a couple of years, actually speaking of different business models. And because I had an amazing network, I had a very in-demand skill set. I very quickly was earning more than I had been in my corporate role, which is is quite unusual, I guess, when you're first sort of navigating that, especially because I didn't have a, a good strategy, to be honest, I was very lucky. Um, but I had an amazing network. I got some really fantastic consulting contracts with high profile companies. But in terms of the, the work life integration, in terms of my definition of success, I was still commuting to an office. I was implementing the same strategies, the same capability building that I've been doing for the previous years working with the same types of companies that I had been trying to move away from. And so it was a step in the right direction, but it wasn't enough. So then I made the decision to quit again, if you can quit your own company, um, to go through what I like to call my hippie phase, which is when I was having a lot of fun traveling the world, being nomadic, but not really earning money. And then now is when it's beginning to all come together, where I'm really aiming to balance the the ambition and the professionalism and earning money on the one hand with really enjoying what I'm doing and and making sure the work and the clients, the projects I do are aligned with my values and the life I want to lead. So it has been a number of pivotal moments along that, as I said, of, of making the initial decision to quit and then to, um, to, to, to quit again, sort of the consulting framework, but then also to quit the very casual traveling around the world, not really taking the business seriously. So I decided to really step up and, and began to invest in a business coach at the time. And since then, I've been, you know, really treating it like a business and not just a bit of lifestyle kind of stuff to to fill a bit of the time, but not really something that would, would earn you a living. We've spoken about lots of different things and I could keep going like this for hours. And probably when we stop recording, we will keep going for hours. <laughs> but I guess anybody listening by, by now should have decided are you going to leave your stupid job or not i'm joking <laughs> there's so much value we've spoken about you have been a great guest oh thank you Bob. but if people do want to take things further with you how can they do that what's what action would you like anybody listening to take so look we talked about the the five pillars so let, let's say two things it depends on where you are in the process because if you've already started to think about it, if you have a business idea and you're sort of just on that 
should I do it or not? And um, I have a great resource for you, which is just kind of a, an assessment of where you are in the process on these five pillars that we've talked about. So that's at onestepoutside.com, which is my company. One step outside your comfort zone is where that comes from. Onestepoutside.com forward slash five pillars. And that is literally a sort of tick box, 10 questions on each of those five pillars. So hopefully that will give you some confidence that, hey, yeah, okay, this area, I'm pretty clear on what I want, but this other one, that's where I need to get help or that's where I need to work, um, you know, and, and find, find my way. If you're much earlier in the process, my tip is always, look, you don't have to rush. You don't have to, as Bob said, hand in your resignation tomorrow um, and say, see ya, I'm off to live my best life. You can start by reading my book, but reading different books listening to podcasts, exploring, getting out of your comfort zone, meeting other people. For me, I, I actually initially um, traveled across South America. I, I was lucky to take a sabbatical before I quit. So that gave me three months to get out of my bubble, out of my comfort zone, and to meet people from totally different walks of life, because we're always surrounded by people who are very similar to us. And that means other people project their fears onto us. And so it's very difficult to break free of that. Whereas actually, and maybe you've experienced that. And again, you're, you, Bob, are not that corporate person, but you, the listener, perhaps, when you've been on holiday, or maybe now recently been working from home, you dream of things being possible. And some, some suddenly you think, my goodness, I really could do this. But then maybe you start going back to the office and, and the emails come in again, the meetings and, oh, they're going to give me this promotion. And now actually, but there's this new project that they're doing and, and maybe I should stay until this one's done. Maybe I should wait until the kids are grown up. Maybe I'll do it when. And that's that's where I'd encourage you to stop and think and, and get out of that bubble, get off the conveyor belt, challenge your thinking, do something different, explore yeah. and imagine what life and your career could be like. Because the problem with tomorrow is it's always tomorrow. Anna, you have been an awesome guest. I need to, I guess, ask if people want to connect with you, how would you like them to do that? So again, that resource, if that's useful, you know, onestepsi.com forward slash five pillars. And if you, again, at that earlier stage, if you want to listen, if you've liked what I've been talking about, and, and clearly you're you're enjoying the podcasting medium because you're here listening to Bob, and um, I have the Reimagining Success podcast. So search for that on your favorite podcast app and, and you'll be able to start listening. It's a mix of this big picture, you know, coming up with a vision, thinking of what's possible, but also some really pragmatic advice about building your personal brand and about choosing the right business model and so on. So the Reimagining Success podcast. And to finish, to ask you the one question I always ask every guest at the end sometimes they get a little warning I forgot to give you any warning <laughs> you'll be amazing anyway what's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago oh I I think Bob you said that you know you should follow the things that work and I, I definitely think I need to get better at that because years ago I had that article that was shared by Aaron Hofstin and and I knew that made a massive difference to my business Unfortunately, I wasn't ready at the time to take advantage of that because I didn't have the systems. I didn't know how to qualify those potential leads. And I certainly didn't get a lot of clients out of it. Um, but if I had had those systems in place then, certainly, um, but certainly I should have continued to, to do what worked really well to get to get that traffic. So writing those blog posts, going on other people's podcasts and so on, I think starting that earlier would definitely have helped me to to piggyback on other people's audiences and get the credibility and, and begin building that personal brand, of course earlier on and um, rather than the, the slightly slower more senior route that I took but I, I always <laughs> say you know I don't have regrets and in, including with my corporate career because maybe I'm idealistic and maybe we sort of fudge over the negatives but I always think you know there are no failures we learn from those things it's it's um it's all part of the process and and I'm keeping my eye on the 
that guiding star again on the future and the other little setbacks and things are just steps along the way. Anna Lundberg from OneStepOutside.com. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. Running your own business isn't for everyone, but I really believe that for a lot of people, it's the true path to fulfillment and happiness. If you are working for others and experience those embers of desire to do something of your own, then I encourage you to fan those embers and get a big flame going. That flame will light things up for you and let you see what life could look like. Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe and join our Facebook group. You'll find a link in the show notes or visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders. Also connect with me wherever you hang out. You'll find me on all the social platforms at Bob Gentle. If you enjoyed the show, then I would love a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would make my day. And if you shared the show with a friend, you would literally make my golden list. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks to you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.